0: Good afternoon, this is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Julia Jacobs. Rimba Watch recently brought attention to the Department of Environment's approval of an EIA for a palm oil project in Pahang, which amounts to about 8,498 hectares. Now, the project involves the deforestation of intact natural forests, said to be nearly twice the size of Putrajaya, and is also said to be the largest single palm oil project approved in peninsular Malaysia in recent years. But why is this happening, considering that the Malaysian Sustainable Palm Oil Certification, or M. SPO does not allow for deforestation occurring after 2020. So today on the show, I'm joined by Adam Farhan. He is the co-founder and director of environmental watchdog Rimba Watch. We're going to discuss the major issues related to this project, including how the EIA was approved without there being adequate measures to mitigate impacts that include unavoidable adverse impacts to the area's ecology and biodiversity. And that's just the icing on the cake. (laughs) Welcome, Adam. How are you today?
1: I'm good. Thank you.
0: Lovely to have you back on the show, but you know, always uh, not great news news, unfortunately, mm. when we catch up. Um, yep. And, you know, we just spoke two weeks ago about Rimba Watch's uh, State of the Malaysian Rainforest 2023 report. You know, mm-hmm. early then we were talking about, you know, the massive deforestation that is planned for the country. Now, yep. let's talk about this latest report, right? So, you guys uh, at Rimba Watch recently cited an EIA mm-hmm. uh, for a palm oil project in Pahang um, riddled with issues, right? To put yes. it mildly. Um, can you just talk to us a little bit about where exactly this project is going to happen?
1: Yeah. So, it's it's located in a f- former forest reserve. It was degasetted uh, a few years back. Uh, but it used to be part of the Bukit Ibam Forest Reserve. So it's in the you know general area uh, in Bukit Ibam. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we're talking about 8,498 hectares, which is quite a significant size. From our database, which which goes back to about 2015, mm-hmm. uh, the closest in size uh EIA for palm oil plantation has been about four thousand hectares approved. Okay. Um, so eight thousand five hundred ninety-eight hectares is is a really huge area.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, as I mentioned, you know many many issues that you uh, and the EIA has been approved, right? It has this been approved. Is, yes. That is the bottom line. So we, but I guess you know we're trying to wonder, we're wondering why considering all these issues that yep. we're going to discuss now. So let's talk about them. So I know you sort of like uh, segregated it or, or uh, divided it into environmental and also social issues. Yeah. Let's talk about the environmental issues. Yeah. So as I mentioned at the intro, you know. Uh, MSPO certification, right, does not mm-hmm. allow for deforestation after 2020. I mean, yes. can you just remind listeners what that actually means for, yep. you know, any products that are, yeah.
1: Yes. So in, in that defense, the Malaysian palm oil industry has taken quite a lot of steps to ensure that future palm oil projects in Malaysia are sustainable. Uh, one of those uh, steps was the, up, the updating of the MSPO certification standards. Yeah such that um, they have a something called a conversion cut-off date, mm-hmm. uh, and the date is 31st December 2019. So what this means in practice is that you cannot convert any f- forested land to a palm plantation after this date. Uh, of course, there, there will be a, a few loopholes depending on the interpretation of, of the standard, but... Uh, you know how we interpret it and how I, you know, I believe that the MSPO wants it to be interpreted is that any deforestation occurring for palm oil projects after 2020 uh, cannot receive MSPO certification. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that, you know, the Malaysian government has stated their, their sort of commitment and their intention that the MSPO certification becomes, um, you know, a legal mandatory requirement yeah. for all palm oil projects. You know, they're targeting 100% palm oil certification, yeah. uh, MSPO certification. So why is the Department of Environment then approving a palm oil project that cannot be MSPO certified? Mm-hmm. That's one of our biggest concerns. And that shows a huge gap between, you know, uh, the, the, the 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 actions of different, you know, parts of the government.
0: Yeah. And what happens? So we know that, you know, there's been a huge pushback against palm oil products, you know, said to be, uh, you know, grown in deforested areas yeah. and all of that. right? I mean, what could be the possible impacts, you know, say this project does go ahead uh, in terms of our exports?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I I can't speak for certain, there are certain um, import requirements for certain jurisdictions Mm -hmm. uh, where, you know, palm oil involving or any commodity involving deforestation cannot be, you know, cannot come into the jurisdiction. Yeah. So, for example, the EU is coming up with the new deforestation regulation, the EUDR, and that's very clear that, you know, any areas cleared after 2020, it cannot be, any commodities on, on land cleared after 2020 cannot be important to the EU. Um, and these standards are just becoming more and more stringent across the world. Um, so I don't see, you know, the thing is that this, this there, there is so much international backlash, particularly from, you know, premium markets, United Kingdom, the EU, so on and so forth against palm oil because of deforestation. And if Malaysia wants to improve the reputation of this industry, which is essential to our economy, they should not still be approving you know, palm oil projects involving deforestation. This is just bringing the commodities' reputation; it's dragging it deeper and deeper into the dirt.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, in your report, you also say that you know it doesn't make economic sense, right? Or oh, there's no economic yeah. case for the project, right?
1: Yes, I mean, if it cannot be MSPO certified, then that brings a lot of difficulties in terms of even the company being able to purchase saplings for mm-hmm. palm oil trees. There's there's all these different requirements. Um, and it just doesn't make any sense if it cannot be MSPO certified.
0: Okay. All right. And um, just want to move on to the next uh, issue that you highlighted. And that, of course, um, unavoidable adverse impacts to the area's ecology and biodiversity. And this is, you know, according to the EIA itself, yes. right? I mean, it's stated that. Yep. Uh, can you talk to me a little bit about, you know, some of yeah. the... Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, of course, I mean, the EIA does acknowledge the fact that um, about, you know, 8,500 hectares of forest are going to be cleared mm-hmm. and converted to a palm oil plantation. That's not the issue. The issue is the fact that the EIA was approved despite not having any way to mitigate such impacts. Because when you, when you really look at it, if you're going to clear, if your project involves clearing 8,500 hectares of forest, there is no way to mitigate that core biodiversity impact, yeah. which is the conversion of that forest. Um, and so the EIA talks about certain actions they're going to take, um, stuff like you know, erecting wire fencing uh, around the perimeter of the project area to, to reduce you know, wildlife coming into the area. Um, They want to ban illegal hunting within the project site. They want to put up signs, you know, talking about the, the, you know, fines for illegal hunting. These are such irrelevant, (laughs) um, you know, (laughs) irrelevant actions. This does not address any of the biodiversity issues. And, you know, this, according to the EIA, the project site has been, you know, animals such as elephants, leopards and tigers have been, um, you know, spotted within the project site. So... I don't see how... The, the, the loss of habitat for these endangered species, it cannot be justified by any of these, you know, mitigation measures that they're proposing in the EIA. The only mitigation measure that would be acceptable is just to not have to project.
0: Yeah, yeah. And they didn't, and it's strange, right? They're just talking about things that will happen after. What's going to happen to the, to the wildlife when they are clearing exactly. the area, right? Completely uh, not mentioned at all. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yes, doesn't make any sense at all, uh, Adam. Yes. Uh, so okay, none of the measures addresses key issues as you mentioned. Um, so basically, we would have um, and these are endangered species right yeah definitely right we were talking
1: about the tiger which is of course critically
0: endangered Um, but then you know there's also like you said elephant there's tapirs as well sun bears as well right you mentioned okay so um, all sort of falling under um, protected or considered to be near threatened Um, then there's also something that you guys brought up which is that the EIA fails to address the tremendous carbon stock loss that would result from this project right can you talk to us about that
1: yeah well you know forests they not only they store a certain amount of carbon um in terms of, so they store it in the trees, uh, so that's the above ground biomass, mm-hmm. and they also store it in the soil, and that's the below ground biomass. Um, so when you clear the forest, you are releasing this entire carbon store, and uh, basically that is creating emissions from deforestation. That's one. And two is that you're removing the potential for that forest to sequester carbon, you know, over the years. Yep. Malaysia has various international commitments to preserve and, and enhance their carbon sinks you know, under the United Framework, the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change and the Paris Agreement, so on and so forth. Uh, and that's also reflected in domestic policies, you know, our national policy on climate change. The EIA, I mean, like I said earlier, there is, there is no way to mitigate the clearing of 8,500 hectares. And therefore, there is no way to mitigate the, the release of carbon mm-hmm. into the atmosphere by the clearing of the forest. Mm-hmm. And it's very important to note that the carbon stocks in palm oil plantations are far... Lower than in a natural forest. Uh, in terms of the sequestration, it changes depending on you know which which uh, source you're looking at. Okay. The science is very complicated and it's very um, it's kind of all over the place. Uh, but the the core point here is that natural ecosystems will always be more climate friendly than non natural ecosystems.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think that we've seen across the world, right? I mean, the science has proven, uh, proven yes. that over and over again. And uh, like I think you also mentioned, you know, we made all these sort of commitments, right, to to yep. uh, to limit our, uh, our to reduce our emissions. Uh, how is How you know, this doesn't gel, does yep. it, right? Okay. All right. So th- those were sort of the... Um, I mean, there is also, as you mentioned, you know, the human-wildlife conflict, uh, mm-hmm. the loss of forests. Um, so there's yep. that as well. Now let's talk about some of the key social issues, right, that yep. are highlighted. So I think we know, you know, for, for decades, Orang Asli have had to... You know, yeah, you know, wage courtroom battles, yeah. basically. erect blockades to assert their rights. And this is also happening uh, over here, right? Yes. So there's a lot of the project side that overlaps with uh, Orang Asli Tana Adat.
1: Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. The, the Orang Asli there have taken the initiative to do community mapping of their, their ancestral territory, the Tanah Adat. Um, and I mean, the, if you look at it on the map, the, the project clearly overlaps with the entire, uh, you know, community boundary. Mm. Um and the good thing in this case is that the Orang Asli are not, you know, they're not taking this sitting down. They are taking the project proponent uh, and the government to court over the approval of this EIA, um, and they're saying that you know this project is going to uh, greatly impact our right to a clean environment, uh, and that's going to you know impact their, you know, their lifestyles, their livelihood, their entire identity. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does not make sense as well that an environmental impact assessment is approved when there's an ongoing court case okay. uh, involving, you know, the land that project uses, yeah. it really does not make any sense.
0: And just to be clear, they filed a judicial review, right? Yes. Okay, all right. And I want—I did uh, read that, you know, the EIA sort of uh, misrepresents or downplays the concept of customary land and Indigenous land rights, right? Um, yeah. What is the issue here exactly?
1: Yeah, well, the EIA, first of all, there's, there are two EIAs. Uh, the initial one uh, was rejected, okay. and then they resubmitted the EIA, okay. and the second one was approved. I want to make it clear right now that, according to the EIA's that we have cited at Rainbow Watch, the second EIA is pretty much either the same or a little bit worse than the first EIA. Good gosh! Uh, in terms of you know social and environmental issues and and how they are planning to address that, so for example, the EIA. So it's it's very clear, the fact that, you know, the Orang Asli have filed a judicial review against the project. Um, you know, Makaranga did a story all about the connection between the Orang Asli there and the land. So it's very clear here that the Orang Asli need their customary territory, uh, you know, for their lifestyles, for their, indi- for their identity. They need it for, you know, resources, um, and that they are against, they are, you know, either completely or partially against the project. Mm-hmm. But the EIA states, it, they make statements such as, you know, this project will have no impact on the Orang Asli livelihoods because they can access other forests. Oh, how you know?
0: convenient, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. And, I mean, that's, that is not how land rights, you know, indigenous land rights work. I mean, I'm not an, a member of the indigenous community myself, but, you know, based on what I understand, uh, customary territory is not something that can really shift. You know, if you lose one area, that area is completely lost. You can't just... You can't just move the orangutans to another area, to another forest just because you think that they look the same. Yeah. That's you know their their identities, um, their histories, their whole culture is is embedded in particular in a particular ecological niche, you know, in particular physical features yeah. in, in a particular environment. So you can't just move them around. Um and this is something that the EIA does not, you mm. know it's not addressed.
0: I think we've seen very often right like for example they sort of disregard things like ancient burial sites or, yeah. the, or the indigenous uh, communities and uh, burial sites exactly. you know which will com- be completely destroyed and yeah. things like that right they just you know assume you can move and uh, look for forest produce somewhere else yeah. but yeah they don't address these sort of like deeply rooted cultural exactly uh, yeah issues. Yeah. And you know in in um, uh, article uh, well, well Makaranga's article back in 2021 I do remember uh, some of the members of the Orang community speaking to him and saying that you know they are they're basically illiterate right yeah. Mm-hmm. And they they couldn't read. Um, and there was also some allegations that their consent was fraudulently yes. obtained, right? Can you uh, elaborate on that?
1: Yes. Well, okay, I'm, I'm limited in what I can say about this, especially because it's an ongoing case. Sure. Um, but, but what Makaranga's article found was that um, the Orangasli were misled into signing their consent for the project. Um, what I understand is that um, they were presented with papers to sign. Um, they were not. Um, given, you know, prior information about what the content of those papers were. Yeah. Uh, and they signed these papers in the presence of um, officials from the from JAKWA, which is the Department of Orangasi Development. Uh, and when they signed these papers, they actually, they were told that they were accepting new houses and that That's was true. it. Yeah. But what the papers actually said is that you are accepting new houses in lieu of, you know, you being able to have any more claims on the land. Mm. Um, so this is extremely shocking, and this these allegations are not addressed in the EIA at all. Um, and again, for the Department of Environment, you know, a, a, a government agency that's supposed to protect our right to a clean environment, for them to approve a project that includes that that is linked to such allegations is completely uh, is completely shocking. Okay,
0: and you also do bring up the fact that there is uh, there is an absence of any sort of mitigation plans, right, to yes. address um, not just the biodiversity loss, but also the potential human rights violations.
1: Yes, I mean, again, the same with these are these are impacts that you just simply cannot mitigate. You, you yeah. cannot mitigate the deforestation of eight thousand five hundred hectares, and you cannot mitigate the complete destruction of indigenous customary land. You know, if you want to compare it to 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 a different case, I think because sometimes it's hard for people to visualize this. You know, you've got a place like um, like Palestine mm. and you've got the Palestinian people and the Palestinian people are tied to the to the Nakba, to their ancestral homeland in Palestine. So if you completely destroy Palestine, you know, you, you just remove it, you wipe it off the face of the earth where the Palestinian is going to go. Their, their home has been destroyed and that has destroyed their identity as well. It's the, exactly the same case happening for the Orang Asli, you know, all yeah. across Malaysia. Yeah.
0: Except, um, yeah, they have to just constantly sort of like, yeah, do these things, like like filing judicial reviews, and yes. we're seeing it happen across, right? Not just yeah. uh, not just in Peninsular Malaysia, but also in East Malaysia as all well. All across, all across, um, yeah, and that's I think, uh, as you also mentioned in the report uh, or in in your brief, that that's quite ironic since we are signatory to the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, right? UN yeah, drip. yeah.
1: Yeah, so you know, under the, the UN drip, um Malaysia has a has a commitment to ensure that any projects involving the Orang Asli um, will involve a free, prior and informed consultation process, the FPIC process. And that process has completely been um, just just not not followed at all in this project, uh, you know, based on what uh, what Makaranga has found.
0: Yeah. So, you know, okay, so these are very, very strong and very, very valid points that you guys have raised, right? And what actually are you calling for now?
1: Yeah, the the Department of Environment should completely revoke uh, this EIA approval You know, on the basis that the land the project's under is currently undergoing a land rights conflict. Um, uh, So on the basis that, you know, it's going to create just biodiversity impacts that cannot be mitigated. And that's going to, you know, create emissions and cause the loss of malicious carbon sinks. Mm -hmm. Um, And not just that, but the Department of Environment should also ensure that future projects of this sort are not approved. You know, we can't just, this can't just be an acute response to an acute problem. It has to be systemic. And that, that you know, that, that raises, you know, some of the issues with the Department of Environment, that the EIA guidelines are not against deforestation, um, you know, Deforestation is can be state-sanctioned uh, just as long as it follows certain conditions. And those conditions are really low, as we've seen in the approval of this EIA. So we need a complete and utter revamp of the the whole EIA process.
0: Mm-hmm. Including, you know, making it more transparent and, exactly. and, and easily accessible, right? Yes. I, was it very difficult as well, you know, for this to sort of...
1: Yeah, no, we... we um The EIAs are not publicly They're not, available. Yeah. They're not online. You know, we, we cited them through different means.
0: Okay, all right. So so basically we're calling, uh, well, RIMBA Watch is calling for the DOE to, to retract its approval of the AIA. Um, what can the public do? Is there anything that they can do? Can they speak up? Can they speak to the MPs? Can they do anything at all to sort of like, I guess, you know, heighten some awareness on this issue?
1: Yeah, I think um, one of the reasons why deforestation isn't really well there isn't much action against deforestation in terms of like political will It's the fact that you know politicians don't see it as an issue yeah. um so the public really need to make it uh an issue where you know you can threaten to basically vote out your mp if he doesn't act on climate change uh, including mitigating deforestation you know mps have to be pushed to raise these issues in parliament um and to just start to remove the acceptability of deforestation within, you know, general political discourse. Mm-hmm. You know, people, politicians across Malaysia, they still use the, the claim that we need to deforest because we need economic development. But I mean, in this case, what econ- ec- what kind of economic development are you really going to bring if you're going to invest millions of ringgit into a palm oil plantation that cannot be certified? And where therefore, you know, even if you are able to actually grow the palm oil commodity on the land, you're only going to be able to sell it to very few and very, very um, sort of low-quality customers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, exactly. The, the public should really just should, should raise the bar for politicians. But not just that. Um, you know, uh, as I think I mentioned in the last interview on BFM that I was in, um, banks finance deforestation, uh, you know, especially for a palm oil project that is going to be a very long-term uh, kind of, uh, you know, credit facility. Yeah. Um, and we are customers of banks. So one way for us to act is actually to write to our banks and, and encourage them to adopt no deforestation policies. Um, and this is something that I think this on like the role of finance and deforestation has been quite low in, in Malaysia and that this is something I'm really trying to, to push.
0: Okay. All right. So speak to your banks and also go and look and see what their uh, ESG sort of uh, uh, message yes. is, right? What their, what their marketing is about it and see whether they're actually uh, following what they're uh, preaching. Exactly. All right. Well, Adam, thank you so much for joining me today. And, you know, uh, thank you for doing the hard work that you do, you know, going through all these EIAs and you bringing this bringing uh, these issues to light. Of course, you know, if folks would like to get in touch, uh, they can find you guys online. Uh, so just go to uh, web.rimbawatchmy.com. That's yep. your website, but you also uh, have social media channels, right? So there's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just Google us and you should find us. Yeah. Just
0: Google Rimba Watch and you will find. Uh, and you guys are constantly updating about other things as well, yeah. all the different uh, work that you're doing. Thank you so much for joining me today. I've been speaking to Adam Farhan, co founder and director of Environmental Watchdog Rimba Watch. Uh, if you miss any part of our conversation today, you can always search for the podcast at bfm.my/slash earth or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Earth Matters on the Bigger Picture, BFM
1: 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast